Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. I want to go against our normal etiquette of presenting next tracks at the end of an episode because I want to present the next track to start the episode to give impetus for what the episode's about. Impetus. Well, you know, élan, as it were. Okay. I've been reading a biography of Louis XIV. That's Louis XIV in American. And one thing I like to do when I read books like this is I like to listen to music of the period. It sits me in the atmosphere and all that. So... I've been listening to one of the seminal recordings of French Baroque opera, which is called Atis, A-T-Y-S, by Lully. This recording was made in 1987 by William Christie and his ensemble Les Arts Florissants. And it's hard to imagine a production and a recording that had so much influence in the music world. It was really the first time that there was an, a production of an opera with original instruments trying to reproduce the opera as it was at the time. And this, this was, it took everyone by storm and it introduced this rediscovery of the French Baroque. It gave impetus to the original instrument and original performance practice movement. And it's a stunning opera. There's something about Operas by the French operas like Lully, who was 17th century, and Hameau, 18th century, I really like because they're more musical than operas like Italian operas and Mozart. So in a Mozart opera, you have an overture, then you have an aria or a duo, and then you have the recitative. And they're just kind of talking with a couple of notes, right? And the recitatives are so boring. Whenever I play a, a Mozart opera, I cut the recitatives out and play, you know, just the music. French Baroque opera is different. The recitatives are much more singing. So you can listen to it without feeling that there's, it, it doesn't seem like there's a commercial between the areas, right? It feels like it's all integral. It's all one part. I really like this work. It's just shy of three hours long. It's great to listen to in the background. It's great, great to pay attention to. And the reason I'm mentioning this up front is I wanted to talk about opera today. Something that you know a lot about. Something I don't know a lot about, something I appreciate, something I've... Let me tell you my experience with opera. I'll just tell you two things. First of all, there's a lot going on in opera. <laughs> yes. You know, if you've ever seen an opera, I've always found it difficult to concentrate on what should I be paying attention to? The acting, the singing, the music, the thing. There's all kinds of stuff going on. When the Metropolitan Opera did the ring cycle back in the, maybe the 80s or something, they put it on television. Once a week, you got to see one of the performances. I think there were, what, must have been four or five of them. Four. four. Yeah. There's four of them. And uh, I said, you're going to watch this, and you're going to get a taste of, you know, what a real <laughs> super-duper opera, when, it, when they put it on, what it does. Because opera... It, it, with the exception of um, the HMS Pinafore and things like that, which my parents used to play for us as kids because it's a very simple, it's very simple music, sort of. I mean, not to offend any Gilbert and Sullivan fans, but, you know, a Gilbert and Sullivan is nothing like Wagner. So I wanted to get the, I, I wanted to get that sensation. And it's, I don't listen to opera. I can listen to pieces of opera. I don't watch opera because it is, for me, very difficult to concentrate on the thing that I should be concentrating on. And I don't know what that is. 
I can't find the quote. I just looked on Google, but someone very well known said that uh, Wagner would be very good if not for the music. I don't think Wagner's Ring Cycle is a good example of opera. I think it's a very specific, it's, it's, a, it's a, an acquired taste. You like Wagner or you don't. It's like death metal, right? <laughs> you like it or you don't. It's that sort of thing. Opera is vast, though. So this um, Lully was 17th century, who is Louis XIV's court composer, his favorite composer. Of course, Lully, famous for killing himself, he used this tall staff to keep time, and he would bang it on the floor, right? Boom, boom, boom. And one day he was really excited, and he went right through his foot, and he got gangrene and died. Not that moment. It took a little while, right? It took a little while. It must have been slow and painful. But the reason I wanted to talk about opera is I was thinking about Apple Music Classical and what they could do to really set themselves apart. There's lots of operas performed in the world. There are lots of opera companies. There, there's big money in opera because it costs a lot of money to put on operas. There's a lot of operas that are filmed and even streamed. So the Metropolitan has a regular streaming program every year, and they've been doing this for a long time. Unfortunately, if I compare the price of the Met Opera streaming here in the UK, and this was a few years ago when I last looked, to the price that we pay for theater, I think... Going to a cinema to see theater was like 17 pounds or 18 pounds, and the Met Opera was 30 pounds. So that's really exclusionary for something that, like, they're making it elitist, even though people think it's already elitist. And they try to say it's not because they have a few cheap seats up in the nosebleed section, but they make it feel elitist, even. That's too bad because that happens with a lot of classical music, unfortunately. Yeah. Well, again, it comes back to your theory of you have to be educated and you have to know all the background and you have to know the composers and you have to know the backstory and you have to know all the source material and blah, 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 blah. And you actually don't. You can sit there and be highly entertained if you didn't know anything. So, I mean, you can just enjoy the music and the singing and the staging. And, and one innovation that came through a few decades ago was the idea of surtitles. So they put a screen above the stage and they show the, a subtitle, but above of what the people are singing. Because when someone's singing in Italian, you don't understand what it is. Of course, back in the day, Mozart wrote in Italian operas that were performed in Germany and Austria and France and where people didn't understand the Italian either. So you're not really expected to know the text, to follow along. How the... How, wait a minute. That's crazy. Wait a minute. And, it is. They wrote in Italian well, for, in Germany for people who didn't understand Italian. How could it become popular? It would be like if we were all we listened to over here was French pop music. It was just... What? Well, it's like people in most of the world that listen to pop music in English, right? Oh, uh, okay. Opera, yeah. Opera's popularity was linked to Italian opera around Mozart's time. And so in order to create operas that fit what was popular, it had to be that style and in the language, which is kind of weird. There's a company in London. Well, I don't know if they're in London anymore, the English National Opera, and they do everything in English. In other words, they translate operas, and that's a really tough thing to do to get the words along with the notes and match the text. And the idea is to make them more accessible, but it seems like they're kind of blurring things. Anyway, the reason- I, I think that's wrong. I think yeah. that's wrong. You should perform the piece the way it was intended. Yeah. So there's a lot of opera that's filmed. You can buy DVDs and Blu-rays of tons of operas. Back in the day, I used to write CD reviews for Music Web International, and I would often pick operas to review on Blu-ray and DVD because I wasn't familiar with them or they were composers that I liked. And 
It's really interesting. I mean, it's not different from modern theater. Like, I take Shakespeare as an example. You have productions that try to be set in the time when it was composed. You have productions that are very modern. You have avant-garde productions, but still with old, you know, centuries-old music. You have all sorts of things. And so that made me think, if Apple Music Classical really wants to set themselves apart, they should have opera videos, not just music. They should have opera videos. Now, they've got a bunch of music videos. Here's three minutes of someone playing a tune. And here's here's a little concert that we did exclusive. And that's a half an hour, 50 minutes, whatever. But imagine if they had opera videos or even if you could rent opera videos because you can't rent too many on the iTunes store. I believe the Met Opera has a number available. But there are, I want to say there's thousands. There's a, a library of thousands of opera videos that are accessible, they're kind of pigeonholed into specific cultural TV channels. There's one called Mezzo, Mezzo.tv, and you get theater and classical music and jazz and opera. When I was in France, when I had satellite TV, we actually had two channels that were included in the package. The Mezzo was one and there was another one. I forget what it was called. So you had all this stuff. You put on the TV. You might have an opera tonight. You might have a jazz concert tomorrow. It's really nice. And, you know, we've talked about why don't these rock bands set up paid streams? And it's the same kind of thing. With opera, this content's available. My guess is they started filming this because opera is such a... I want to say location-specific thing. When an opera is performed, it rarely tours because of the cost of setting it up, the staging, and all that. So the Metropolitan Opera, they may tour a couple of things, but it's not quite the same as being on the big stage. It's not something that moves around easily like a symphony. An orchestra just moves. They don't need fancy stage sets. So I guess opera fans started buying these things because it was the only way they could see opera. And it kind of seems like this is something that Apple could do that would be unique. Now, the question is, are they free? Are they paid? You know, th there is an economy around this. So making them free might be a little bit difficult. But it's the one element of classical music that, uh, that Apple seems to not be covering. When you look in the Apple Music Classical section, you browse genres, you find them under stage works. And... That's a pretty odd term, but I think I know why, because they have some Broadway shows in, in Apple Music Classical. So they're putting anything that's on the stage, and, and I don't even know if things like Hamilton are there, but there are a number of, it's, and even when you get there, okay, well-known works, here's five and see all works, latest albums, here's five and see all albums. There's nothing to like get you to drill down into Italian opera, French opera, you can look by composer, but you can't really see it, it's it's somewhat opaque it's like when get a spreadsheet sometimes things like this does apple music have any video at all i mean apple classical well they do have some videos but i'm not finding a video section if i look in the apple's music app on my imac in the classical section i scroll down at the bottom i see videos so there are a number of videos they're generally short there's Here's one song by whatever. Here's one short piano piece by whatever. Here's a couple of things by whatever. And here's, you know, it, it's all just short bits. It's not full works of any kind. I think they've had a couple of concerts on in the past. You remember when early on they had actual Apple Music concerts, which were either performed in Apple stores or were maybe recorded someplace? They did a Ed Sheeran concert recently on Apple TV. So it's that kind of thing. And they have had some in the past, but it's not a section that is 
it's not a big deal, right? For them, it's it's all the way at the bottom. You can't. You gotta. You gotta. Well, it's like when you search an artist or something, you see, and here are some re related music videos. In this sort of sense, you see these straggling, what you call it, classical videos. Yeah, if I look at Carnegie Hall, so Carnegie Hall is is one of their curators. There are a number of live at Carnegie Hall concerts, but there aren't even any videos. Let's see, Carnegie Hall Plus, watch now. So this is, oh, okay, so they're selling you a subscription to Carnegie Hall Plus for $7.99 a month, which opens in the Apple TV app. And so here you've got, uh, you can get some without a subscription. They've got some concerts. They've got some operas, beloved piano, masterpieces, orchestras, opera and dance, international festivals. So they're collating a bunch of stuff that is coming from different sources. It's not just from Carnegie Hall. And that's one of the problems that... All this stuff gets lumped together, and, and it's not... So the Berlin Philharmonic, when they built their new concert hall, I think 15 years ago, they fitted it with cameras and microphones so they didn't have to set it up specially. And they, they film everything, they record everything. You can subscribe to the Berlin Philharmonic and get everything from them. But you don't get other content. Here, Carnegie Hall seems to be selling you stuff that some of which is Carnegie Hall, but most isn't. So they're like a classical music station they're not the carnegie hall station right right yeah maybe that's what they fit they have to throw a wide net because there aren't enough subscribers just for carnegie hall which i really find surprising because it seems to me they could do exactly what the berlin philharmonic does and that's a lot and that's provide audio and video of everything if two subscribers i don't know why they don't why don't they do that how hard could I, it be? I just don't understand uh, it. I'm I'm guessing there are contractual issues. Well, you know, again, how hard can it be to sit down at a table and work these things out? Because it's for everybody's well, benefit. No, no. In, in recent years, they probably worked it out, but it's all the back catalog where they may not have had contracts that allowed them to do this. Okay, right. I know this is a problem with theater here in the UK that before a certain time, there was nothing in the contract to allow things to be exploited in that way. And it kind of, I mean, it makes sense. You can't just, you know. Well, so what do they do? They you can't just come back and say, well you, well, you did this recording and we filmed it and now we're going to do something else with it without paying some sort of royalties or residuals. And Well, how do they, what do they do? I mean, what do they do? Find survivors of the recording artists or the producers or something that was. No, no, the performance. If it was 15 years ago before this became a thing and you were in a production and you were filmed, well, you've got to be paid if you're. If your film is being used in a different way that was in the contract specified how it would be used, right? And so newer contracts have to do that differently. So we're talking about hundreds of musicians and artists and actors and things like that potentially, for one yeah. production. Yeah, potentially. Yeah, right. Now, I find it interesting that I had never heard of this Carnegie Hall Plus before because I did look up a couple of things this morning. One of them is that Mezzo TV that I told you about. There's another one called Opera Vision which is a collection of YouTube videos. It is a Freeview Opera streaming platform supported by the European Union's Creative Europe program. And it's all free. And there's hundreds of videos. There's a thousand videos, apparently. Now, these aren't the biggest artists and ensembles, but you can get a, a huge range of stuff to watch all on YouTube. 
And I, I mean, I think that's quite a, you know, that's quite something that all of that is free. Well, you know, you say you get it from YouTube. And does that mean it's been professionally recorded or it's, is it some Bravo guy with an iPhone? Oh, these are all, these are all, no, no, these are all professional recordings. There are a lot of European festivals that do recordings, again, to, to feed these TV channels I mentioned to you. And it's gotten cheaper and they've gotten better at doing this. So I'm sure that there are companies that churn out you know, a hundred of these a year. It's it's not that hard. Right. That's what I keep saying. It's not hard to, to do this. You know, I've seen them do it here in the Royal Shakespeare Theater, right? And now, because it's a thrust theater, you've got cameras on three sides. That's a little more complicated. But they maybe have seven cameras altogether. Sometimes even less, they got one on a boom. So if you're filming a classical music concert or an opera, it's kind of the same thing, but they don't even use thrust stages. So everything's in front. So you, what do you have? Three or four cameras, maybe one with a crane, and, and you've got a director and you're, you know, it's not that hard. I, I totally agree. I, I don't know why more, not just classical but, you know, you know how I feel about it. I think everybody ought to be broadcasting everything all the time. I think it should be, you know, uh, I mean, there is a cost to it, obviously, but they could make it back from people who are going to pay it. So, interestingly, I've actually never seen an opera live unless you count Philip Glass's Einstein on the Beach, which technically is not an opera, but it is a staged performance of a vocal work, musical work. I find it really enjoyable to watch some of these videos. They're, they're escapist in a way. Right. Opera staging is almost always silly yeah. because because, <laughs> you know, you, you have people standing around braying for three hours. They right? look like big tableaus. Of, they look like, you know, there's a, dozens of background characters yeah. who have to stand there while people are singing. Yeah, it's, it's unlike theater where you have two people or five people or eight people or three people in a, in a scene. They're moving around. There's things going on. You can't be moving around too much when you're singing. And you do have to have a choir sometimes. And how you set up the choir, uh, you know, the, either they're on stage or off stage, or they're 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 the 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 what do they call it in video games? NPCs, non-playing characters who are milling around in the back, that sort of thing. But some of these are really fascinating. If you have a good sound system, you sit back with a nice glass of wine, and you put on a three-hour opera. I guess you do. I mean, why not? <laughs> That's the problem I have, though. I like I said, it's so complex. But I think you just I'm overwhelmed. It. You just ignore right. it. You let it wash over you. Don't watch it. Just just bathe in it. Yeah, yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. And another thing about videos today is they all come with subtitles if you want, so you can read what's going on, which sometimes I don't care, but most of the time I do want to have an idea of what's going on. Yeah. I was always surprised when I when I did see translations because I realized... There's really not a lot going on. No. I mean, don't forget, it's a song that's usually describing a moment or a, or a single feeling. And it's like, it takes three minutes to express it, but they're really just talking about one singular sensation and at the at the time so it's uh it's it's difficult to, to it's difficult for me to do that. You know, I've never seen Hamilton mm, and I've never seen right. and I've never seen a lot of these newer musicals so-called that have a lot more singing than, you know, just a typical musical like Oklahoma, where there's a song and then there's acting and then there's a song. This idea that there's a lot of singing, that to me is just too overwhelming. I've never, it's never attracted me. It pushes me away, actually, because I'm afraid I'm going to get sensory overload. I don't really want to deal with all of that. 
I think you need to look at an opera as a whole and not as a combination of music and acting and singing and production and everything. It's the, it's the same way you look as a movie. Well, you will admit if I don't know the context, that's kind of how I see it. Yeah. Uh, one of the things about opera is the staging doesn't always tell you what's going on, particularly in modern stagings with all these sort of angular things with, you know, funny lights and stuff. You You don't... You don't know where you are. You've dropped in the middle of something and you don't know where you are. But in that case, just let it flow past you and enjoy the music for what it is. That's where the the fear that has been put into me by by opera fans. It's like, well, if you don't if you don't get where you are, well, you know, what are you doing here? It's like, you're right. What I should do is just, yeah. just let that go. That's not important. That's just dressing. Yeah, it is. But there is a, a thing among opera fans, a certain elitism. Something happened, was it last year? A child actor, I think it was at Glyndebourne, which is this really ritzy festival, and you have to like be selected to get tickets or something, and they booed a young singer, a child singer. And this was a big scandal. I mean, it was a child. Maybe he's not the best. Maybe. And people actually booed him. And this is common in opera of booing and making noise when you don't like it while someone's singing. They're very rowdy. They're kind of like, you know, at football games. Pro wrestling? Yeah, well, not quite as much as pro wrestling. But it, it is. There's a, there's a strange etiquette in opera where people will boo if they don't like a production or a singer or something. More often, it's the staging, like a modern staging for something that they don't like. They'll they'll stamp their feet and boo. It, it's very strange. It's silly. I know. It's a weird <laughs> world, isn't it? But anyway, I think if Apple Music Classical could do something like that, maybe not have an extended library, but maybe, you know, Apple TV Plus, they give you some additional things every now and then, additional movies included with your subscription. And it would be kind of nice if they did something like that for opera with Apple Music Classical, because it's fair to say that classical music is broad, but one of the largest subgenres in terms of production and, and, and spectators is opera. Would you say that opera is going along strong these days, or is it like all... Well, I don't want to say all classical music, but it's kind of faded to the background. It's not as popular as it used to be. Would you say that? I don't know enough about it to say it. I, I oh. do know that there were, particularly post-lockdown, there were problems with the Metropolitan Opera and funding, and and I don't know exactly what happened. I kind of think that probably the most popular opera is not the A-list opera houses, but the B-list opera houses, where they're smaller, they have, you know, lesser known performers and conductors, and it's it seems to me more, there's a lot of opera like that that's more like, I don't want to say local theater, but that, that has a different kind of... It's it's not the top production value. It's not the best singers in the world and the divas and all that. Well, you know, the thing that, that troubles me a lot of times about classical music in general is that a lot of these uh, orchestras, a lot of venues, they have to play popular classical, you know, in order to attract, you know, what was we always talking about, Brahms and Bach. They got to play that all the time. and Or they have to include the popular stuff on the program. But a second tier, as you say opera house can afford to be a little more experimental can become known as a place that does innovative things rather than just doing the same old you know uh stuff you hear all the time well the royal opera house is the big one 
in the UK here in London. And I'm just looking to see what they've got on. They've got Il Trovatore in cinemas. Okay, that's coming up next week. Popular. They, yeah, incredibly popular. It's hard to find because they've got a lot of things going on in addition to operas. They've got Massenet's Werther, which is relatively popular. But then they've got Family Sundays and Dance Things and Here's a Festival of This and Here's a Festival of That. La Traviata, gee, that's, you know, Marriage of Figaro, totally unknown operas, right? <laughs> I mean, even I'm not an opera fan. And I know Das Rheingold, right. Da Forza del Destino, L'Elysia d'Amore. These are all like the classic things. Now, if I look at Opera North, which is in Leeds, who's made a good name for themselves as an, an opera company in a, I want to say, a small city. They have Verdi's Falstaff. Then they have a... A piece by Purcell that I've never heard. They have La Rondine by Puccini, never heard of it. Britain's Albert Herring, fairly well known. Mozart's Cosi Fan Tutte, very well known. Cavalleria Rusticana by Pietro Mascagni, maybe it's a well known thing. And then they've got a Rachmaninoff opera called Aleko, which I've never heard of. But again, I'm not an expert on this stuff. But I do believe that they are a bit more daring than. You know, the big Royal Opera House. Right. I think the big Royal Opera House has to attract the regular folks. You know, we've said this before. You know, that's why the programming of classical music has kind of stayed, because the people who subscribe want to hear their live Bach. They want to hear their live what I heard the last time. Yeah. I'm looking at the Gleinborn Festival this year, and every single one of these operas is well-known. Don Giovanni, L'Elysir d'Amore, Dialogue, Dialogue des Carmelites by Poulenc, Midsummer Night's Dream by Britain, Handel's Simile, and The Rake's Progress by Stravinsky. There's nothing edgy there. Now, from what I understand, they may have edgy productions and stage sets in Gleinborn. But there, there's nothing here. There's no—I mean, there's no Philip Glass operas, right? And he has composed quite a few of them. And I'm sure there are other contemporary opera composers, and I don't know where their work is performed. So if anyone does know more about opera and wants to, you know, write a long email to tell me I'm wrong, please feel free. But I, I thought it was interesting to think of this, particularly with Apple Music Classical. And, okay, I want to just say something about Apple Music Classical that's really bad. So I looked up Lully, right? And I'm doing it now live on the radio. And, oh, here we go. Jean-Baptiste Lully, composer. Popular works. See all 59 works. Le Bourgeois Gentilhomme, which is a piece of music for the Molière play. The Bourgeois Gentleman. 60 recordings of them. Well, this one's three minutes long. What's that? This one's an hour and 24. Well, that sounds okay. But this one's one minute. What's that? And basically, the metadata is so bad that they've got individual tracks listed as if they're the complete work just because they have the name of the complete work in the track metadata. And there's something about opera that's a real mess here that they've done it. Now, in some cases, it could be a recording of arias by different composers. Do you put that in for the actual work of the work? Because the work that you're citing is the aria, not the not the opera, which means work in Italian. So for the for the the Lulietis that I mentioned as my pick, the the first listing is the William Christie recording at two hours fifty minutes. The next one is ten minutes. The next one is seven minutes, and three minutes, and three minutes. And it's like they've just got a couple of bits of something that they've thrown in on a recording. And it's kind of a mess. So to be clear, you're saying, how come they're not listing the opera, the opera, the opera, the opera? Exactly. They're, they're listing a, tr a song, a, a piece. Excerpt from. Excerpt yeah. from, yeah. Yeah. And so here, if you do show album, right, you can see an entire album. 
And so here's one which has, this looks like a, a 40 minute, 20 track collection of arias from various operas by Lully, made in 1968. And so they're listing for each one, the name of the work is followed by the tracks, even though it's not the complete work. Right. So that's where it fails. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you're looking for classical operas, music, is still still being troublesome to to the digital landscape. It's yeah. still troublesome to get that. That there's like another. It's like an X, a Y, a Z, and there's something else. Yeah. <laughs> so know? if you're looking for operas on Apple Music Classical, it can be difficult because you won't find necessarily find complete operas when you do your search. Well, that's enough. I've already done my next track pick, Doug. So what have you got? Well, it ain't opera. I, I feel like sometimes like I should be whining because I really am disappointed that I can not find a lot of new music that I like. I mean, there is lots of new music and I do listen to as much as I can when it's recommended and that sort of thing. But I really just don't find anything that grabs me until a couple of days ago, uh, someone recommended that I listen to a band from Cincinnati called Motorbike. And this is their first album. It's called Motorbike. Great album cover. Nine songs, 26 minutes. Yes, they are derivative of punk music, but I mean, it's really all over the board. It's, they're a garage rock band. That's what I would call them. They, their stuff sounds like Killing Joke, and it sounds like The Cult, and it sounds like The Replacements, and it sounds like The Clash. It's all in there. And usually when, in my opinion, when, when contemporary bands, you know, kind of borrow older sounds, they really don't do anything unique. But each of these songs I thought was, was really interesting. A lot of mosh pit energy, but still a lot of cleverness and a lot of wit, I think, that's in there too, at least musically, uh, musically speaking. So anyway, I listened to the whole album. I liked it that much. And then I listened to it again. I listened to it twice in a row. That never happens. I don't think that's happened since I was in my 20s. But anyway, if you like the hard rock and punky sort of kind of mosh pit music that I know I like, you might give Motorbike a try. It's my next track. This was episode number 258 of The Next Track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at NextTrackCast. And don't forget to support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. We're ad-free and self-sustaining, so listener support is what keeps us grooving. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We will talk to you next time.